Welcome. My name is Mike Hall. I'm one of the pastors here this morning, um, and I get to talk about 1 John, which I'm pretty fired up about. I wonder if I were to ask you the question, what makes your family unique? What you would say. What makes a, a Jackson a Jackson or a Dawson a Dawson? What makes your, your family who you are? And if something doesn't come to your mind immediately, I'd encourage you to have that conversation with your family this week, maybe on the way home or at dinner. I had that conversation with my family in preparation for this, and it was, it was kind of fun. So we're sitting around our table, said, hey, what, what do you guys think makes a hall a hall? And I, well, I don't know why you're laughing. I haven't said anything yet. I had some ideas in my head, and here's some things they came up with. They said, you know, we do road trips. I'm like, yeah, we do road trips. They said, we like pickleball. Yeah, we like, and if you don't know what pickleball is, um, it's the greatest sport ever. It has nothing to do with pickles. Uh, it's a best of tennis and ping pong mixed together with a sprinkle of awesomeness on top of that is pickleball. Um, and if you have heard of it, but you're not very good, I'd invite you to come to our house because something else that we do is we're competitive as a hall. And we would like to beat you. So that's something that makes a hall a hall is we're a competitive family. Uh, we also always, when we have spaghetti, Heather makes salad and nobody eats it, including Heather. So that's another thing that makes a hall a hall. If you're part of a hall family, you know the difference between I'm sorry and please forgive me. If you're part of a hall family, you like each other. And you want to be around each other. If you're part of the Hall family, you want good for each other. These are things that make us, us. Well, this morning, John talks about what it's like to be a part of a family. And there's two different families you can be a part of. And some of this message that John speaks is hard. So if you're new here, if you're a visitor or you're a guest... You picked a crappy, a bad morning. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. You picked a tough morning. I'm new at this. You picked a, a tough morning to be a part of, of church. And, and for a couple of reasons. One, Eric is not here, right? It's me. Um, which, by the way, just a, a quick side note on that. I think it's fair to say. Um, if Eric is, is a great preacher and teacher. And we know that. And we love that about Eric. He's, he's back here telling me not to do this, which you know means I'm going to go further, right? <laughs> he's great. But, but if we pick our church just on the person who is teaching or preaching or just on the person who's leading worship, then we've, we've missed it. It's a bit of a consumer mentality, right? So there's a bit, I get it. If you're here and Eric's not preaching, like, oh, he's the guy that I like to hear, which is, which is fine. You know why? Because he's a part of our church and he's gifted. And part of being a part of our church is to share your gifts with others and for it to edify the saints, for it to edify the church. And so we want to sit and hear Eric because it edifies us all. And we want to hear Matt lead worship because it edifies us all. And they're talented and gifted by God to do that, which is great. But if the reason we come to church stops right there, uh, we've missed it. And it's time to rethink of why we do church and why we go to church. That instead, yes, there's a part of all of us get to edify each other, and we get to edify each other. So as you come to church, I do hope that you're thinking, you know what? I I'm glad that I get to be edified by those around me and 
I'm glad that I get to edify as well because I'm being a part of a community. So if you're a visitor or a guest here and you're thinking, hey, is this the church that maybe I want to be a part of? I hope that that is the, the metric that you're using to think, hey, yeah, is this the community that I want to give myself to? Anyway, that's not why this is tough. Because John in verse 10 tells us that we are a part of one of two families, that everyone in this room is either a child of God or a child of the devil. It's one or the other. We're a part of one of those two families, a child of God or a child of the devil. And you, you become a part of a child of God because you have faith, you believe in something. But you're also a part of the child, you're either in that family or you're the family of a child of the devil because you also have faith. You believe in yourself. A, a, a child of the devil says, I believe in me and put my trust in me. A child of God says, Jesus, pilot me. Thy will be done. I follow you. That you're either putting your faith in yourself that you think that you are the master of your life, that you should rule your life, that you know what's best for your life, or you believe that God knows what's best for you and that God knows what's best for your life and that you want to follow him in that. Both take faith. It's not a, a scientific thing or reasoning. It's where do you put your faith in and that you're going to bet your entire life on that. Either you're the judge of your life or God is the judge of our life. And here's what John tells us, is that our actions and what we do is an overflow of being part of which family we belong to. So just like if our family went to a pickleball convention where they ate spaghetti and not salad, which if you hear of those conventions, please let me know about it. I'd like to go. But if we went to that convention and we saw all of these pickleball players eating spaghetti and not salad, we go, these are great people, but you know what? They're not, they're not a part of our family. Even if they do those things, that doesn't make them a part of our family. But if we're a part of our family, these are the things we do. This is the same way that John's speaking, that if we are a part of God's family, we do things that look like God's family. It's who we are. And if we're a child of the devil, we do things that look like we're part of that family also. Again, those actions don't make us a part of the family. It's what you do if you're part of that family. As a Christian, we, we don't try not to sin. We just don't sin because we go, this is what we, who we identify with. This is the family we're a part of. And when we do sin, we confess that we sin because this is the family we belong to. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible speak of, of moralism. Or, or trying to be better, that you can do it. The Bible does not speak of that. that that's, it, it's truth without grace is this moralism. And, and we have to fight against that, especially here in, this, in our East Texas culture and an overly churched culture because we can all of a sudden in our context forget that this is not our, our deeds are not uh, or are an overflow of who we are, what family we belong to. We don't do the good deeds in order to make us a child of God. And in the flip side, 
if you have grace without truth, you have this kind of individualism. The, um, hey, we can believe what we want as long as we do good. That's not true either. That to be part of God's family is to believe both in truth and in grace. And as a, as a child of God, the driving engine in our life is the knowledge is that we are a child of God, that we are adopted into his family, that we were born a child of the devil. And if you have faith, that you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died and that he's still alive today, then you are then a part of the family of God adopted. And just like a baby that is adopted into a family, the baby did nothing to deserve it. They didn't look good. Most babies don't look good, except for you, Anna. You did look good. That would come back to haunt me later. That, that a baby does nothing to be adopted into a family in the same way that we are adopted as believers into God's family because he has chosen us to be adopted. So let's look here, 1 John chapter 3. We're talking about verse 10 a little bit already, but let's, let's look at verse 11. First five words, you heard from the beginning. Let, let's just stop right there. Is that verse 11? For this is the message you've heard from, yeah, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So this heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, from the beginning of what? What does that mean? Well, this is from the beginning of the church. In fact, if we look at Acts chapter 11, this is an example of this loving from the beginning. In, the, in Antioch, all right, so you've got the city of Antioch, and there's, like all cities back then, they had walls around the city, right, to to guard the city. Well, Antioch was a little bit unique. Antioch had a wall around the city as well, but then they had several other walls around those walls and in between those walls to section off sections of the city and different ethnic groups would live within their section, walled off all within Antioch. Well, the gospel comes to Antioch in Acts chapter 11, and spreads throughout the city, throughout the different walls, and the different tribes, different nations within Antioch came to know Jesus. They came to know Christ. And then something a little bit crazy happened. The people in the different tribes and the different nations within Antioch began worshiping together over the walls, around the walls, and they were united. And everyone around started looking at this and go, what is this? We've never seen anything like this before. And so they came up with a, a new word at the end of Acts chapter 11 called Christianity. It was the only thing that made sense. The way they loved each other wasn't typical, wasn't traditional, was unheard of. And even I think as we look at our church, right, do we get to love one another beyond people who are like us? If not, if we don't do that, if we don't see that, it should wake us up a little bit to go, huh, something is off there. So we heard from the beginning. And so then John, John turns to say, hey, let's talk about this love. But in order to talk about love, let's first start by talking about the inverse of it. What, what is this not? So in verse 12, John says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So 
this is taken from Genesis 4, which here, I'll, I'll read this here so we kind of get a, a picture of what's going on. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord regarded for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So why is this? Why is Cain's offering not good and Abel's offering good? Some, most scholars would say, well, it has to do with the sacrifice that it took to give the offerings. What we know for sure is that both Cain and Abel knew what would please the Lord. Because faith is in regard, in, re, in response to God's revelation to us, and that this was revealed to Cain and Abel, maybe through God himself, maybe through his dad, Adam, uh, but they knew what was right, and they, they didn't do that, or Cain didn't do it, and Abel did. So uh, Genesis continues, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry, and why is your face fallen? I think it's interesting the way our face and our mannerisms reflect sometimes our heart. But if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. What a picture of sin, right? Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain, at this point in time, he was jealous. He moved to anger. So then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him, slain him. More literally translated, slit his throat. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Here's where Jealousy led to anger, which led to murder. That if you're part of the family of the devil, if you're a child of the devil, this is your mode of operation. That jealousy is your default. That when things don't go your way, when things feel off, when someone is better than you, jealousy sinks in. Jealousy turns to anger, which can turn to murder. Maybe not physically. Maybe it's the murder in the heart that John speaks of in the Sermon of the Plain, that, it's, that if you hate your brother, it's as if you're murdering him. To murder someone, to say, you're dead to me. And then, as John talks in verse 13 then, so don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So there's a couple things here, right? The world, if you're from the child of God, the world hates you. And when we say the world, what we're talking about, those that are children of the devil. And why is that? Because light and dark don't go well together, do they? That if you're light, if you are a child of God, and that you're in a place where there's dark, that there's going to be jealousy that turns to hatred. And so the world is going to hate you, and we can expect that, which is fair. 
if you're a child of God here and, and you have opposition and you feel, you know what? People who are not believers, who are not Christian, they tend to hate a little bit. Expect that. And if that doesn't happen and you're a believer, be fair to say, hey, why is that? Something, something might be off. Maybe there's something to repent from. So your actions and behavior, again, are in line with the family that you come from. If you come from the family of the devil, it's going to be jealousy. But if you come from the family of God, your actions are going to result in love. This is where John tells us, hey, that, that's what not to do. Now let me tell you what to do. We're going to talk about love. Now, when it comes to love, we've, we've got to be careful to define this word, right? Because we hear the word love a lot, all the time. We hear it in movies, and we hear it in TV, and it's often used as the, an ambiguous kind of word to mean good feelings, or unity, or even tolerance. Hey, love, let love uh, trump, love wins, uh, love rules. But what, is, what does love mean? Well, John is going to define love, but first, we've been working hard to define love. I'm going to say since the 80s, when we asked the question, what is love? There it is. So we know it. Yeah, and the Roxbury, right? So what is love? But it doesn't just stop in the 80s. Well, maybe it's still some of the 80s, right? <laughs> Foreigner says, what is it? I, I, I don't know. And then we even turn more. White snake, right? Is this love? I don't know. How do you know? So white snake goes to talk about the feelings of love, right? But it doesn't stop with white snake. Oh, no. I let this one go too long. <laughs> but I like it. Mm -hmm. The Beatles. Is it all you need? Yeah. So in one sense, right? Yes, that is all we need. But I should have done this more. Huey Lewis tells us it's powerful, doesn't he? It costs us no money. Yeah. It's the power of love, baby. No, no, we're going to keep going. Keep that going. Oh, yeah. See, this is the thing about doing a short sermon. We get to have a little thing in here. Beyonce says it's crazy. She does. But... So we got all, we've got the music genres going on, but it goes with not just music, but movies. Tom Cruise, we all know the scene, and we're not going to let this run long because it's going to get a lot of you hot and bothered. I know that. <laughs> but the ultimate movie with all love that's ever happened That's right. Say anything. It was the greatest love scene ever. 
when he's out there at her window holding his jam box up, just wishing she's laying in her bed going, I love you. That, that is ultimate love. No, it's not, is it? Say anything. Do you not say anything? It'll be a great thing for you to Netflix later on this afternoon. Your wife will appreciate it. You know what? It's fun. I mean, it's amazing, though, the millions of songs and movies that are about love. And it's not surprising. For believers, for non-believers, it's part of the Imago Dei. It's built in us that there's something about love that is right and rich, and that our souls cry out to want love and to want to love. But John goes, hey, let's get real clear on what love is. That, that some of these pictures of love that we just talked about and went through, some of those are right on, some of those are way off, and there's all glimpses of something that's true in there, that yes, love is powerful. Love is a little bit crazy. Love doesn't cost us anything, but it kind of costs everything. There's a mix of this in our culture, and John goes, let me tell you what love is. In verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Hey, John is saying, look, if you're a part of this family, the family of God, the one that you are adopted into, this is what love looks like. Now, we can pull some, some truth out of here, which would be good, and, and we're going to look at this. And it's something, any of because any of us can do very simplicity, uh, simplistically, uh, five quick things you can just look and clearly see about this scripture, love is sacrificial. Love is actionable. Love unites people. Love originates from God. Love is motivated by God. Those are all true things about love. And that is what we should do. But as we look at that and know that and see that, okay, good. That's a reflection of being a child of God. But when, when John writes that, that's not all he's thinking. See, John is a super unique disciple as he's writing this gospel. Because the gospels tell us that John was maybe the only disciple that was actually there. See, he was... He was at the cross, and he was watching it. And so John actually stood there and watched his God, who he knew was Messiah, on the cross, making eye contact with Jesus as he died. And John knew John knew when he looked over at Jesus that he looked at God and he knew that God himself, that Jesus 
was being murdered or allowed himself to be murdered for John. That John knew you're dying for my sin. And then for the next 60 years, John let that permeate in his heart. And so now, 60 years later, when John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the scripture, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. This is not just a theological exercise. No, he looked at God himself who died for his sins. And John said, let me tell you what love is. Love is a big deal. Love is, yes, it's all of those things. It, it comes from God, and yes, it's sacrificial. But, but you know what it meant to me? Do, do you know that he died for me? This, this is love. And we get to be in a unique position where we can know the same. That Jesus is alive and we can know, you know, let me tell you what love is. That Jesus died for me. That, you know, I'm a sinner. You know, I, I need God. I am a child of the devil without him. And it's because of my sin, he died for me. And I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. But there's a sense through his word we can make eye contact with God himself and go, yeah, that's love. And so as being part of the family of God, we do good in response to that because this is the family we're a part of. We're part of a family where the God of the universe died for us. Hey, here's what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray and then Matt is going to come up and we're going to do another song and then we'll benedict. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are good. And I pray that you would give anyone in this room that doesn't have faith, faith. That they would have the faith to believe in you. That they would be children of God. Lord, I pray also that we would be a church that loves each other, not because we have to or we ought to, but just because that's who we are, because of whose we are, that we would love each other as a reflection of being a child of God. May our church look different than the world, that we would love uh, across walls, that we would love when it looks strange, that the word Christian would mean something. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.